through 9. Reading at verse, verse 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. The book, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. If you read over that passage of Scripture a time or two, as I have done, I come away with this title. And in summation of those verses we've read, and that is our title, Encouragement Against Discouragement. The Lord, the Lord here is encouraging Joshua not to become discouraged. So that's not a play of words. That's really what he's saying here. And he says it very clearly in verses 6, 7, and 9, repeating it three times, that Joshua should be strong and very courageous. And in verse 9, that he should not be uh, dismayed or afraid, which again encompasses discouragement. And I want us to begin by thinking about the setting and the time when the Lord is telling Joshua this. The children of Israel are just on the east side of the Jordan River at the north end of the Dead Sea. And they're ready by crossing the river to go into the Promised Land. But they are at the end of 38 years of discouragement, wandering in the wilderness. 38 years. This discouragement came as a result of their disobedience 38 years ago. And to capture that setting, let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I think it's important that we present this to you. I wouldn't take the time to read it if I didn't think so. Of what got them to where they are and what Joshua is facing as he is given this encouragement against discouragement for the task ahead. 
Deuteronomy 1 reading at verse 21. Moses, of course, speaking here, Deuteronomy is the law repeated. So Moses is rehearsing everything that has happened over the past 40 years, all right, before he dies and Joshua takes over. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. And this is back when they sent the spies, just to give you a little heads up. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. So initially sending the spies was just to get the strategy of how to conquer them, not whether we're going to go or not go, okay? They were going to go. It's just, let's send in some spies and see how do we want to go about this. Moses says, the saying pleased me well. I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Amazed at that, huh? I mean, God said it was, didn't he? Notwithstanding, ye would not go, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Now, where did all this come from? How how did they arrive at that conclusion? Here it is, verse twenty-eight. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller with thee than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven, and moreover we have seen the sons of Anakims there. Moses said, Then I said to you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before their eyes. All right, this is where it all started 38 years ago. Ten of the spies said that report. Caleb and Joshua, who is our subject here in Joshua, said, let's just go get them. God's with us, just what Moses said. Well, you know the story. I'm not going to say much more about it. But 38 years they suffered wandering in the wilderness... And that generation, God promised, would not enter in the promised land for that very reason. They brought a report that discouraged the whole people. Now, I want you to think of the, of the emphasis of that. We're talking a million or two million people. This is what ten men did to a whole nation. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, what are we going to take away from that? Well, we're prone to discouragement, very obviously, aren't we? When we don't have faith in God, you know, we're prone to discouragement. And even we who do have faith in God, we're still human and we're prone to discouragement. So now, they are once again, and let me remind you just a little history. When they did this, they went from uh, Mount Sinai, they went right up, and if you've got a map in your Bible, you can look at it, or it's even over there on that one over there in the pink. They went up from the bottom down here at Mount Sinai, if you can see that. I didn't think about referencing. And they went up to the furthest black line on the left at Kadesh Bardia. And that's where they sent the spies. They were right there. 
They were ready to invade the land from the south when the spies brought this report back. So now they've wandered around in all those black lines on the map over there for 38 years, and now they went up the black line on the right-hand side up there at the north end of the Dead Sea. So they are, in a sense, at the same place they were 38 years ago, except now they've got a new leader and a new generation of people. What are we going to do now? That's where Joshua is, okay? So I want you to think about Joshua's position here. He has been a minister and a servant of Moses ever since they come out of Egypt for 40 years. In fact, he would, Aaron was a priest, but Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. And he's mentored, mentored this man for 40 years. The Lord told Moses many, many years ago, way back there, in fact, the 38 years before, Joshua's going to take over after you. You know, it's essentially there. So here is Joshua now. Moses is dead. Now you talk about some big shoes to fill. Think about that. So you can see that Joshua is in a, humanly speaking, a very vulnerable position. He's supposed to take over. And they were here 38 years ago and did the wrong thing. And now he's commanded to make sure they do the right thing. So... It's a pretty tough situation, I think, from Joshua's perspective. But Joshua was an exceptional man in that regard. But God here is encouraging him not to be discouraged at the task which lies ahead. The temptation would be there. The possibility would be there. The vulnerability would be there just like it is for you and I. And the enemy always likes to discourage. There's nothing the devil likes better than a discouraged Christian. Because whether it be an individual or an army, if you're discouraged, you're vulnerable to defeat. When the morale is running low. So what is true of Joshua here is also true of you and me, and we know it very well. And we're speaking on this to encourage you encourage ourselves against discouragement. Well, let's look at it and how it all plays out and what the Lord does to encourage Joshua about not getting discouraged in the task that he has and in leading the people. He said it seven, three times, as I said, in verse 6, 7, and 9, Be strong and of good courage. So the Lord is really encouraging his man, isn't he, by saying that. And we appreciate that, that God does things like that for his people, whatever is necessary. But to begin with, in verse 2, he says here and gives us, what we see in verse 2 is the responsibility that Joshua has. And the command that God has given him for the task at hand. What does he say? Arise and go over this Jordan. Arise and go over. I mean, he didn't ask him if he wanted to, and he didn't give him an option to go somewhere else, did he? I mean, that is a direct command, just like in the military. Come down from the commander-in-chief, arise and go over. Now, that's not hard to understand, is it? But, of course, huge responsibility in leading these people over the Jordan 
and then to conquer the people of the land. So he is given a responsibility here when he takes Moses' place. He's given a direct command by God himself. He's charged. He's commissioned as we have studied at other times and other places. Arise and go. Well, again, as Christians and as members of the Lord Jesus Christ Church, we have the same responsibility, the same commission, the same charge, the same responsibility, don't we? What is it? Arise and go. Minister to the world, evangelize the world, teach the people of God. All right? No ifs, ands, buts about it. And in that responsibility it's very easy to get discouraged at times whether you're a leader or a follower it doesn't make any difference then the next thing we see is after being given the responsibility and the command is is he is reminded and here's part of the encouragement he's reminded of the covenant promise that God has had with this people since he called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And this is conveyed in verses 2 through 4. Look at what it says there. Unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel, the chosen nation, the seed of Abraham. And then note verse 3. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. The wilderness of Lebanon, the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, that will be the Mediterranean, the west of the going down of the sea will be your coast. And all of this goes back not just to Moses, but to Abraham. To Abram in that respect. In Genesis chapter 12, we read of that covenant that God made with him and blessing that seed and giving them this land. So that covenant between God and the people of Israel, the Hebrews, the seed of Abraham, began with one man, Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12. As you well know, as Bible students, it was repeated to Abraham's son Isaac. It was repeated unto Isaac's son Jacob. And this was something the children of Israel knew when they became a nation and were birthed in the land of Egypt. That God will be faithful to give you the land that he has promised unto your forefathers. So that is encouragement because it involves a promise and a covenant of God. And God is faithful to fulfill his end whether men fulfill their end or not. God's going to do it if he's obligated himself to it. So in verses 2, 3, 3 and 4... After giving Joshua the responsibility and the command, he reminds him that this is a covenant that goes back long ways. God said he would do it. Now it's time to do it. And Joshua is the one God has chosen to lead this to accomplish it. Pretty amazing. Now that's encouragement, isn't it? I mean, humanly, Joshua or we with a task like this could be thinking, man... Can I do this? How are we going to do this? And, and all this. And the encouragement is, well now, didn't God say that one day this would happen? Oh yeah, He did. Didn't He make a covenant with your forefathers every generation and tell them He was going to do it? Yes, He did. Okay, now we're here, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And Moses is dead, right? Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. So God's going to do it. And guess what? You're the one that's going to do it. But it don't matter if it was you or Moses or Aaron or some other 
unnamed person. God said He's going to do it, and He'll do it with or without you. But He's appointed you as a mean. Now that's encouragement, isn't it? I mean, anybody could take courage in that and knowing that God's going to do it and you get to be the means that He's going to use to do it. That's encouragement. Then the next thing He says, He gives him assurance of victories in every battle. Now, everybody that's ever went to West Point and everybody that never went to West Point but has been a military commander would love to have this kind of promise from God. Everybody that's ever coached a sports team would love to have this kind of promise. You know what he's saying to him? Verse 5, you're never going to know defeat. You're never going to be defeated. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Now there's boxers and athletes and all kinds of people that take this type of mindset and enter into their vocation to be the best there ever was and most all of them fail, don't they? But God has just promised victory to this man in every battle he will go into. I mean, that's not only encouragement, that almost would seem like it'd be a temptation to get the big head. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean... No man will be able to stand before you. Again, imagine, and I, I wonder if this is what Alexander the Great thought and Napoleon thought and a lot of other people have thought that we're going to conquer the whole world, but they all eventually met their Waterloo, didn't they? But here's a man, God says, you're not going to cup up anybody you can't whoop. Wow. Wow. And that's God's promise. I mean, this is like us when the Scripture says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What's the problem? Right. So, he assures him of victory in the coming battles, and there will be many, and there were many, as you know in the book of Joshua. And then he assures him further of that and encourages him that God's presence is what's going to accomplish this. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. That's why nobody's going to be standing with you. Because I'm with you. As long as I'm with you, nobody else can stand before you. That's it. And folks, I want to say again, I don't want to isolate this just to Joshua, although it is a focus here. But this has been true of the martyrs that have died when it came time for them to die. You know? And it seemed like the enemy had got the victory. God didn't fail those martyrs. He was there with them. He's the one that inspired their testimonies and, and their ability and their strength to praise God in the midst of being burnt, beheaded, whatever it may have been. That promise is not just to Joshua. That's God's promise to His people. And it carries itself out in so many ways through so many generations down through human history. And so if it was good for them, it's good for us. Assurance of God's presence. We read that in the New Testament, doesn't it? When God gave, Christ gave the commission to the church, what did he say? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and do. You're the means. And I'll be with you all the way. And to us, it's kind of different than Joshua. Joshua's promised he'd never lose a battle. But he is promised he'll win the final war. 
Well, we can lose a lot of battles, but ultimately we're going to win in the end, aren't we? And the third thing is exactly that, is the assurance of ultimate and final victory. He says there that uh, I will be with thee, verse 6 rather, he says, Thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So in other words, when, when the battles are all over, and you have won the ultimate victory, conquered the land, you're going to divide this land up. Well, if he got defeated along the way, he couldn't do that. So that's an assurance of ultimate and final victory. But just like any war, usually there's not one battle that determines it. it, it there's many battles that lead up to victories, right? I mean, you think of World War One, World War Two, a lot of battles, a lot of places and different fronts, different continents, what have you, before we finally won in Europe or we finally won in the Pacific, right? A lot of battles before the final and conclusive end. So, he encourages him by telling him what's going to be. That God will bring all this to pass just like he covenanted and promised. Well, that's all well and good. You know, I mean, we know the last chapter, don't we? But, guess what? We haven't got there yet. And Joshua's on the east side of Jordan, and there's a lot of work to do. And there's a lot of enemies over there. And there's a lot of battles over there. And it's going to be a long, hard, arduous process. And he's got to lead and keep the morale up, not only for himself, but so he can for the people. Well, how do you proceed? How do you proceed facing the enemy? How does the church go into the world and take the gospel and teach all men everywhere and prevent discouragement? Well, pretty simple when you read it. Be strong and be courageous. Well, we know that. Yeah, but what about the, where the rubber meets the road? How do you do that? How do you be strong? How do you be courageous? And so forth and so on. Well, I think it's summed up pretty clear there in verse 7 when he repeats it the second time and says, Be strong, be very courageous, and that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from the right hand to the left, that thou mayest prosper wherever thou goest. Three things God is encouraging Joshua. To be strong, to be courageous, and now obedient. Okay? And he's given him a good foundation to be strong and be courageous because it's based on God's promise, isn't it? And likewise unto us. What have we been promised? We've been promised eternal life. We've been promised an inheritance. We've been promised that Christ will come for us. We've been promised a resurrection from the dead. And we know from Scripture and history and experience that God has never failed on any of His promises. So we don't just sleep and pray for courage and wake up the next morning with a big bucket full of it, do we? No. Our strength and our courage is based on the foundation of God's promise that God will be with us. God will provide. God will do what we can't do. God will work in us to accomplish what we are too frail and too weak to do. Just be strong, be courageous, and be obedient. And that's the key thing. You know, a whole military army could go into battle, and they could all be strong, and they could all be courageous. 
But if obedience is not in there, the first two probably don't amount to nothing, does it? I mean, you could just be a bunch of strong, rash, you know, charging headlong, courageous into battle and die and lose. But obedience involves discipline. And an army must be disciplined. And what I'm saying is, if an army is strong and courageous, but undisciplined, then they're in trouble. They're in trouble. In fact, I'd, I'd say us as Christians, and even like the army, to be strong and courageous with that obedience is to be weak and worthless. It's to be defeated. It's to no discouragement. But the means of this is very clear here. And I want to point out some things here that are also God is providing encouraging. When he says in verse 7, Observe to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Again, he's going back to, jo- to J- uh, Joshua's mentor, is he not? And here again, he's encouraging him. Remember your mentor. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his instruction. And remember His example to you. And I'm going to flip back to Deuteronomy again, that first chapter in there, and uh, read a few verses that to show you just how God was looking out for Joshua way before this time. Alright? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verse 38 we read, But Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him. For he shall cause Israel to inherit it. That's what I said to you earlier. That it was already told Moses way back. You know, that Joshua was going to be the one that was going to lead the conquest of the land. And what was Moses the mentor to do? Teach him. Encourage him. And Moses did that very thing. Flip over to the 31st chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And let's look at verse 7 and verse 8. 31 and 7 reads, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel. Okay? So this is not just for, for Joshua, but that all Israel can affirm this. Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. What we've read in our text today is a repetition of what God already said to Moses. He's saying it to Joshua now. And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee. Neither forsake thee. Fear not. Neither be dismayed. So Joshua's heard this before. But he heard it from Moses, his mentor. Now he's hearing it from God. Now I don't know how he heard it from God. I don't. Bible doesn't tell us God spoke to him in an audible voice or a dream or whatever. But God communicated to him one-on-one the same things that his mentor, example, and instructor had before. That's encouragement, folks. That's encouragement. He was prepping him all along, as you see, even when Moses was leading. Uh, Back over there again, let me see. Verse 22 of that same 31st chapter, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage, 
For thou shalt bring the children of Israel in the land which I swear to them, and I will be with thee. That's encouragement. That's encouragement. So many times reminding us of things like that, excuse me, encourages us for what lies ahead because of thinking about those who have encouraged us in the past. For, as Esther said, such a time as this. Now, another thing that's a source of encouragement on this, I believe, is that Joshua could remember the past victories. You might remember along the wilderness journey, they run into some enemies, didn't they? And one of the first ones they ran into was the Amicalites. You remember that? And uh, Joshua was told by Moses, you go down there and fight them. I'm going to stay up here on the hill and hold up my rod. Remember when he did, they prevailed. When he dropped his hands, the Amicalites prevailed and so forth. But they became victorious, didn't they? They won. They won that battle. That was their first real fight when they came out of Egypt was against the Amicalites. And in chapter 3 of Deuteronomy, in verse 21, we read, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do all the kingdoms which thou passest. I got ahead of myself. Not only did he defeat the Amicalites, but then they run into these two kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og. And nobody would have thought that they could have defeated them. These two kings ruled over like 60 cities. And Joshua once again led the conquest over these two kings. So Joshua had essentially quite a bit of military experience under his belt. And in verse 28 again of that third chapter, But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before the people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So again, God's again telling him how he's going to do it. But that's something to fall back on, you know, of past victories, of how we have overcome things in the past. And we tend to forget it in the crisis of a moment, you know, well, how am I going to do this? Or how's this going to work out? Or what's going to happen? Or how can I? How can I? And sometimes if we just sit down and stop and think about the past and thank God how God has got us through some other things, you think, well, surely if God has got us through all of that, He can get me through this too. Whatever it is, whether it's bigger or smaller. And so Joshua could reflect on this. And again, Moses encouraging in him in those battles that they were victorious when the odds were against them. And they, they killed everybody. I mean, those two big kings, that's the two kings that Rahab said, man, we heard about you mopping them up down there. We just couldn't believe it. And when we heard that you had defeated them, and again, 60 cities, no matter how big or how small they were, they killed every man, every woman, every child, and took all the spoil. They obliterated them. And of course, when they defeated the Amicalites, uh, God said right then and there, He said, I'm going to destroy these Amicalites off the face of the earth eventually. And that was many, many generations later that they finally did that was fulfilled. Joshua didn't do it, but Joshua was in the first battle of that. So again, uh, good to fall back and think, oh yeah, if we were able if God was able to get us through that and we were able to do all that, then surely He'll be with us in whatever lies ahead now. Well, we mentioned obedience. And it's very explicitly stated there. And this is us also. So get the personal application as we hurriedly go through this. Observe to do according to all the law which Moses commanded thee. 
Don't turn from the right or the left. Verse 8, The law shall not depart out of your mouth. You'll meditate on it day and night, and thou mayest observe to all that is written therein. Then shall thou make thy way prosperous, and then shall have good success. Joshua couldn't just march off. You know, that God has now supercharged him into some superhero and neglect everything else and think, well, nobody can stand in front of me. I'll just go whip him. No. He had to be the spiritual man that he was. Have that spiritual foundation to, to succeed in the practical things of life that God had called him to. And nothing could be more true of you and me. And in fact, the Bible teaches this in the New Testament just like it's right here on the pages to Joshua. You can't do it if you don't know it. And if you don't know it, ignorance is not an excuse because you're holding it in your hand. That's all of us. We have the Word of God. It's not hidden somewhere. It's not on another planet. It's not up there with the angels. We have it. God's revelation. What God says to do, what not to do, and how to do everything He commands us to do. So this is our instruction book. This is our marching orders. This is our promise book, our covenant book. It's everything the Word of God is. And he told Joshua, you need to know it so you can do it. So again, the study and comprehension of God's Word. And the danger of knowing it and not doing it. James dealt with this in the book of James. You know, don't just be hearers of the Word and not doers. You can be the most faithful church member that there ever has been. Come here every time church doors open, pay attention. Hear, 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 hear. But if you go out those doors and you don't do, you might as well have been somewhere else. Now, I'm not telling you go somewhere else. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, James said, don't just be hearers and not doers because hearing ain't going to get it. It's one thing not to know it. Know it. Don't be ignorant. God's given. And if you know it, then you're responsible for it. For him to know it, to do good, and do it not, to what? It's sin. So once you know, you're responsible to do it. And he told Joshua, let it be in thy mouth and in thy meditation. Let's just say it. Can you quote scripture? Can you remember scripture? Not all of us have the same memories. Not all of us have the same ability, the same memorization. It don't mean remembering every word of every verse when it comes to, but can you remember the teaching of Scripture based on certain verses? Well, that's what we're talking about. You can't repeat it. You can't utter it. You can't meditate upon it if you don't know it. So he's saying get in there, get with it, and keep it on your tongue, and in your mind. And he said, then you will have prosperity and good success. Because what's that all teach us? Teaches us about God, doesn't it? Teaches about God's promises. And think about what did they have at this point. I mean, okay, what's before Joshua? The book of Joshua in your Bible. The Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Okay? And Moses obviously got that written down before he died, you know. That's what they had. That's what Joshua had. 
to study, to meditate on, and of course he had the experience of the things we've already talked about. And our key thing here again I say to you is don't turn to the right hand or to the left. Don't bend it. Don't alter it. Don't sway from it. Don't lean a little this way. Don't lean a little that way. You compare that to what the Lord says in the New Testament. What does He say? The way to eternal life is what? Straight and narrow. Now everybody likes a wide road, don't they? I mean, we get white-knuckled when we drive on narrow roads, don't we? Why is that? Because the ditch is just right there on the left. And the ditch is just right there on the right. And just a little bit of a mistake, and you're in trouble. Well, that's the whole idea. It don't take much to get in trouble. It don't take much wrongdoing or disobedience or negligence to get discouraged. If the ditch is way over there, we can drive all over the road, can't we? But the way to eternal life is straight and narrow. And I, I really like what uh, the old title of Baptist being known back like in uh, Gill's day and Bunyan's day and uh, Spurgeon's day, strict and particular Baptist. Uh, that speaks to this. Don't go to the left hand. Don't go to the right. You're, you're strictly and particularly supposed to stay between the ditches in the middle of the road. And that was a title that was applied to a lot of Baptists. I think we need to be that way. And then finally in verse 9, the Lord repeats this again. With a question, have not I commanded thee? So this is authoritatively for the third time he's saying... Be strong and of a good courage. God's not suggesting it. I'm telling you to do it. And I have given you, as I have tried to give to you today, the reasons why you should do it. In other words, there's no room here for you to be discouraged. There's no room here for you to think you can't do it. There's no room here to think that you can be defeated. Have not I told you? Have not I appointed you? Have I not brought you to this place? Have I not given you experience in the past? Have I not given you a mentor? Have I not shown you what I can do, will do? Don't think I can't do this. Yes, it's big. Yes, it's great. But you're the man to do it. And nobody's going to stand before you because I'm going to be with you. And I promised it a long time. I mean, all these things are just so encouraging. And he concludes, isn't that marvelous? Have not I commanded you? Be strong and have a good courage. Opposite of that is to be afraid and to be dismayed, dismayed being discouraged. Don't do that. Be the first, don't do the second. And the assurance again is finality, for I'm with you, wherever you go, wherever you go. I mean, if God be for us, who can be against us? Is that, is that not what the Scripture teaches us? Now I want to close by saying to you, and just remind you some things that you already know. Discouragement is probably the most used weapon or goal that Satan has. Because again, he loves discouraged Christians. He does not want loyal, faithful, obedient, meditating, studying, studious, straight and narrow Christians. He wants us to be discouraged. So it's a frequent weapon. It's a frequent goal of Him to discourage. Because again, when discouragement goes down, it appears, 
morale goes down, we're on the threshold of the door of defeat. Because only bad things follow discouragement in that respect. And let me remind you again, don't think that you're just some insignificant child of God because you are discouraged. The greatest of God's servants have been discouraged. I've got to run through this very quickly, but pay, take heed, okay? We mentioned Abraham. Abraham had to be discouraged. In fact, we know he was. A couple of things. Number one, with Sarah and Hagar. How discouraging that he followed Sarah's suggestion, you know, conceived a child with a handmaid, and then that didn't suit her, and she got upset about, I mean, we all know what marital problems are like. Well, this big or little. I mean, that, that is discouraging. He probably, you know, I guess it was all summed up. We should say he shouldn't have listened to her in the first place. Maybe it was his own mistake. But again, what about Lot, his nephew? Lot was a big discouragement to Abraham. Abraham had to look out for him. I mean, you know, all right. There's the great man of faith, Abraham. But he had plenty of times and circumstances to be discouraged. And then we have Isaac and Rebekah, Abraham's son. Esau went off and married these foreign women. And the Bible says it was just a burden and a discouragement to Isaac and Rebekah because he went out and married these women, you know, that were ungodly and led him astray. And that whole, the whole situation with the child, Esau. Jacob was discouraged. Remember that? I mean, you know, Simeon was kept down there. Look what happened to Joseph and all. I mean, Joseph had discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. You know, losing his sons and all of that. Joseph, mistreated, sold into slavery down there. Discouraged, right? I mean, these are great people of faith. Moses himself was discouraged at various times, wasn't he? And why not with these people he was leading around? David was discouraged numerous times. Read it in the Psalms. But there is one marvelous outstanding statement about David in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. Where it said when they was about to stone him, his men was because they'd lost everything they had, and all the women and children had been taken captive. David encouraged himself in the Lord. How do you think him did that? Have you ever thought about that? How did he do that? Same way I told you this morning. He fell back on the promises of God, the past victories, the strength of God in the past, and that way he's able to take the next step and go forward. There wasn't nobody there to encourage David. It's just David. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now we need one another's encouragement. If you encourage somebody, do it. At every opportunity, encourage one another. The Bible says to do that. Exhort one another. It's in this church covenant, which we never read, and we need to read and preach on, I believe. Because we tend to forget our responsibility that we've covenanted with one another for here. Encourage one another. But there are going to be times when we all are going to have to turn ultimately to the Lord because either who's with us to encourage us can't give us what we need or give us enough of it like the Lord can. Elijah was discouraged. Paul was discouraged. The disciples were discouraged. All of God's people face times of discouragement. That's why the Bible says in the New Testament, be not weary and well do it. We're prone to become weary. And when you get weary, you can get discouraged. But that scripture says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. So it's a persevering, 
unto the end in that regard. Let me read a scripture to you in the book of Romans as we close, shall I? And we'll wrap this up. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? All right, there's the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. A lot of room for discouragement in verse 36, isn't there? The answer to the question, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, is answered, verse 37, nay. No. No. None of those things can separate us from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Joshua, at 110 years, if I remember it, died a conqueror. A man that led the armies of Israel to victory after victory after victory after victory. He was strong. He was courageous. He didn't get discouraged. He led the people faithfully. I'm sure he has a great reward. But the things we've talked about today tell us how he could be so strong and encouraged and not become discouraged. And ultimately, it was because of God and what God promised him. Well, those same promises are ours. Whatever happens, we are more than conquerors in him that left us. God bless this to your hearing.